Welcome to the Limitless Being Podcast. I am Danielle Sharkey, your host, here to be a guide on this journey of life. This is a space cultivated with the intentions of connection, vulnerability, spirituality, limitless knowledge, explorative conversations, and unlimited potential. I am here to spread love while activating freedom within the collective consciousness. I'm a digital nomad, an entrepreneur, and a magnetic spiritual being here to help you activate your power so that you can cultivate the life of your dreams. This container I have created is a safe space for us all to have conversations which lead us toward liberation, acceptance, and radical love of your self. If you have found this podcast, it is by no accident. You have been guided here because there's a part of you who's ready to stop making excuses and live the life you've imagined. So join me and my guests here every Thursday. Can I ask you though, how you were feeling like in this moment when you started, because you're pretty perceptive. I feel like you started to realize pretty early on, like, hmm, maybe this isn't going to be what I thought. How are you feeling? Or were you just kind of like, I need to get through it, experience it all until the end? You know, I was starting to feel a little bit like, um, you know, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be, um, but I'm here. I'm not going to like not i'm just going to see it out to its end and just Mm -hmm. understand that there's always something to learn and there's always there's medicine and everything even if it's not the thing that we thought it was going to be uh and so that's kind of where i was at um it's just an observation and i came down to learn you know did i come down for some healing some medicine yeah but mostly i came down to learn um and 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 that's kind of where i was at with that but at the same time kind of like a little bit like this is not what i thought it was um but back to willie's um willie's retreat center and so uh we we get into we get into these bungalows and i'm, I'm sharing a, a bungalow with another guy um that i met i can't I actually can't remember his name i'll call him sean um and i'm starting to i'm starting to to do some economic math in my head right because i know what i paid for this trip and um, I bought my own plane ticket and paid for my first night in the hotel in Iquitos, which was part of the deal. But it was supposed to be everything after we got into the boat down the Amazon was part of, of I think it was like $3,000 that I paid that I, I guess went to Ned. Um, and, I'm, I've, you know, Adrian, Adrian has gone down to a, um, uh, an ayahuasca center in Costa Rica that is, you know, very well done and very, you know, kind of almost affluent and you know she had a, a nice room and blah, blah 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 and i walk into this like this shack on stilts um with like these weird mattresses and and like, it, i was just like i'm starting to think like because i also spent i also spent a night in the ketos and we went around shopping a little bit and we went out to eat and so i'm, I'm looking at the exchange rate here i'm looking at how far my money goes like we went to a restaurant it was probably the most expensive restaurant in Iquitos on like this rooftop and i ordered like this big plate of different meats um and and you know we had all these appetizers banana chips and blah 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 blah, blah. and like i don't remember what i spent on my plate but it was, it was nothing comparatively mm-hmm. um and then even in the medicine shop of like you know what i'm doing the math of what the prices are here and then i'm going to willie's retreat center and i'm looking at the accommodations and i'm like where's this money going like um and i'm starting to wonder i'm like how much of this is ned keeping um because whatever he's paying alex the peruvian guide whatever he's giving to willie um the, the the retreat center um peruvian i don't know what these totals are um but it just doesn't make sense. It's not adding up. Um, uh, and we um, gather, we, we go down, we get on a boat and we go down the river a little ways to a, uh, to an animal preserve, um, animal preserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, we're on the boat and Ned pulls out like this, this big bag of psilocybin mushrooms and he's just passing around the boat. And I'm like, Okay, that's cool. Like I said, I I party with mushrooms. I party with lots of right. stuff. But 
this is again, I'm like, what did I come down here for? I thought I was going to go like hang out with a tribe and film a documentary on like these medicine ceremonies. And now I'm on a boat with a bunch of Americans. Um, a mushroom party boat. A mushroom party boat. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, couple little mushrooms it wasn't you know something large um and we go to this animal preserve or reserve or sanctuary they call them um and uh you know now i'm just starting to feel like a tourist i'm like i'm like i'm on i'm in a tour group this is a tour group um you know uh and we ended up going throughout the whole trip. We ended up going through a couple of these these animal sanctuaries, and I'm like, "Well, what's the difference between an animal sanctuary and a zoo? You know, in a sanctuary to me, a sanctuary is you put a, a border around some sort of chunk of nature, whether it's a physical fence or just like you know a, a lines on a map where you can't come in and hunt here or whatever. Um, this is this is an area of of preserved nature, right? But nature is allowed to do whatever the fuck it wants, whatever nature's gonna do. It's a zoo when the different types of animals have their own cages and enclosures and are being kept away from each other. Mm-hmm. So when, when the parrots actually can't get to the alligators, that's a zoo. Um, is that know? how it was? Yes, yeah. And so here's another thing where it gets into the marketing and, and the language that we use. And every every animal sanctuary that I went to in Peru was a zoo. It was they were cages with with animals. Um, and I'm like, okay, Interesting. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because it, it's like going on safari, but all the antelope are in one pit and the lions are in a different pit. Yeah. No, you're not on safari. You're in a zoo. <laughs> Um, yeah. it's okay there's nothing, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with zoos um, I'm just saying like this is the methodology and so we go from the animal sanctuary the zoo um, uh, into kind of into the jungle a little bit and, um, and through a town we, we get out we get out of the taxis and like now we're walking um, oh no first we go to like this very old big tree you know 500 years old something like that and um, um um alex the peruvian guy he's starting to tell us like these these narratives about the area and he's talking about the lumber trade and the industrialism and the money influences that were in that got kicked out yada 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 and ned um ned stops him ned the white guy from florida stops alex the peruvian man who has never left this area in his life stops him and tells him that he needs to work on his talking points um, because it can't be about the lumber trade and the industrialism and the socioeconomic struggle of the area. And the history. And the, his- the, the, real, the real recent history. Um, he says, you've got to make it, what, what the people want is you've got to make it about the spirit of the forest and the grandfather tree and the mother of the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what the that's what the tourists want, and I'm watching him do this, and I'm like, "What is going on here?" Mm-hmm. And then they, Ned starts sitting around, and he's got his his like hape pipe, his curpe or whatever, and he's blowing stuff up his nose, blowing stuff up other people's nose. It's not hape; it's like granulated with chuma or this or that, or I don't even know what it is. And like, people are just. People just sit, and again, like, man, I party. That's cool. Like, you know what? Um, but this is just, I'm just getting kind of this, this sense of, of where I'm at and the situation I'm actually in. Right. And we go walking on this path and we're walking down and we walk, um, we're walking past, um, a, a couple of, of, of domiciles, buildings, little houses. We get to this little town, right? And it's getting close to, you know, getting closer to sunset. Um, and the, the villagers are out and then it's the end of the day. Um, according to Ned, a lot of these villagers commute into the city and they work in hotels and shops and things like that. And then they commute back down by boats to their little village. And, you know, the kids are playing soccer and there's like a volleyball court and the, the villagers, they're, they're playing volleyball. Um, and the first thing I notice is Ned like just walk, runs onto the volleyball field and like joins joins these kids playing soccer and is like kicking their soccer ball around. I'm like that's kind of a dick move. Like <laughs> ask them. Like nobody picked you, Ned. Like yeah. <laughs> fucking up the score here. 
Um, and then we just inserts into, himself. Yeah, it, it started to seem very. Um, I don't know what the right word is, but just inserts himself without without seeking consent or permission or or whatever like that. I mean, kind so of like a hierarchy feel, type energy with Ned. Feeling a little like entitled. Yeah. Um, um, and um, and we get we walk into the town, and I go over. There's like a little a little shop, and I, I use some some coins that I had to buy like coke like coconuts because I'll like take cold coconuts and cut off the top and yada yada yada. Um, so I'm, at least I'm putting some money into this local economy. Um, and like the you next thing you I were, noticed, you initially thought that you were though, correct? Like you thought that this was going to go to the people of the area that I'm going to, but it's actually in Ned's pocket. It could be. I still don't know. I still oh, don't okay. know where that, that $3,000 that I Venmoed, um, is. Um, mm. but I've, but at least I'm buying stuff at the, I'm, I'm not going to say at least I was like, I'm going to go over here. Here's some, here's some, some, some coins. I'm going to pay you for, for some things. I'm not going to, I, one of the things I don't like to do, which I sometimes I, I think is you're supposed to do is haggle. Um, like you're supposed oh, to, yeah. there's a lot of countries where they say, no, you, you always have to haggle. You're supposed to haggle. You're just, I'm like, I hate haggling. Like just, okay. It's, it's, it's already it's, so it's, cheap. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so I'm not going to haggle. So I'm probably overpaying for everything, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and the next thing I noticed that I really kind of like raised an eye at is uh, people in my group are taking like videos and pictures of the villagers and of the villagers' children. Um, and I was like, mm-hmm. like, imagine, imagine if you will, there's a lot of these, a lot of these people in this group, their parents themselves. Imagine you're back in the United States and you take your children to the park. And they're playing in the playground and a spaceship lands and creatures with technological and financial power that doesn't even make sense to you walk out and start playing with your children and using their recorders. And they're like, oh, look at the little village. Oh, this is great. Oh, so bad. I'm like. These are humans, yeah. you know, yeah. these are, these are people's children and you're just pulling out your phone and your camera. And like it's a zoo. Like it's a zoo. Yeah. Like, like it's an a amusement zoo. park. Like yeah. these are just yeah. people. Like, in like, the same, like the same way when we were at the zoo and you're taking pictures of the parrots and the monkeys. Now you're just, you're just recording your vacation on your tour group. And yeah. um, so I was like, I'm just and in this mode. Like I'm not, saying anything i'm just kind of like i'm there i'm observing um and you know passing out some some coconuts that i bought um and then we walk down the road and we get to the kind of near the bank and there's this like three-story building um that we're all walking into uh and um we walk in and there's like no electricity in the building and so you walk up it might have been four stories you walk up a flight of stairs to to a room and another flight of stairs to either the rooftop of the room and it was very dark in there because there's no electricity so we've all got like our cell phone cameras out or other flashlights things like that and we go up to the roof and there's like a, a, a stereo and some chairs and some hammocks and there's like a view over the amazon and it's getting closer to sunset and it's very beautiful and everybody's just kind of hanging out chilling and i was like Whose building did I just walk into? Like, I didn't ask anybody's permission for this. And this reminds me of what this, this reminded me when I was in Iraq, um, because it was very much that feeling. When you, when you're a soldier in the United States army and you break into a country, you break into Iraq, you invade a country, mm. you occupy buildings. You say, you, you don't ask permission. Um, if any, you, you don't even say this building is now mine. You just take it. And God forbid anybody tries to stop you, um, mm. you know, because that's that's just a fight waiting to happen. You, you don't ask permission to go driving down the road. You drive down the road. You're asserting your aggression. Um, you're, you're not there to be polite. You're not there to ask permission. You're not there to say, oh, hey, I'd really like to um, set up a guard tower in this building. But first, I need to find out whose building this is. And I need to negotiate like a lease agreement. It's not how that happens, right? And that's what this reminded me of. I just walked into this building with this group of people. I didn't ask anybody's permission. Um, and I don't know what the ownership 
because uh, again, I've been I've been in enough countries in the world to know that not every not every country has they have different you know senses of ownership. It could be it could be a community building, it could be a community center. I asked Ned, I said, hey, whose building is this? You know, what's what's the sense of ownership like in this country? You know, you, you come here a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and I I know enough to know that not to assume that everybody has a mortgage and a bank and a credit card. You know, there's different ways to assert ownership and. Um, he said that it was a community building um, and that during the day there's a lot of trade that happens there. And that could be true, but mm-hmm. um, it was just odd um, to me. And you felt uh, that like your intuition was telling you something more than your logical mind as well. So, yeah. 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 In my experience and, you know, and, and you know, the ways that it seemed familiar to me, um, you know, from other from other experiences. And so we hung out here for a little while and then we uh, left the building and walked down um, the banks back to Willie's. Um, and uh, so that was that was my first that was my first night there. And uh, um, then, uh, you know, the, the whole idea was we're going to go down, we're going to we're going to harvest the ayahuasca. We're going to prepare the ayahuasca. We're going to look for the combo frogs. We're going to harvest the combo venom, the, the frog poison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it didn't happen the first day. I can't remember. The timeline is getting messed up for me. But um, that was the other thing is the schedule kept changing. It kept being like, it wasn't very rigid. It wasn't like, okay, you're going to do ayahuasca night one, night two. You're going to take a break. You're going to do it night three. And then that to that to that to that. It was very kind of wishy-washy. Like an actual of- retreat would be if this was something that was curated right. professionally. You know, yeah. you would have a time and you would follow those times. Yeah. Mm. And so this was just kind of like, we're here, we're hanging out. Uh, oh, what do you feel like doing today? You might uh, get into some ayahuasca. I'm like, but um, Willie, Willie and, and some of the, and the young males that, that he had there, I think some of them were his sons and some of them were just villagers. Um, they went out into the jungle and they harvested a bunch of ayahuasca vine and they brought it in. And there was a day where a morning where like I got to like beat, mash the ayahuasca and, and he was like you know carrying it putting it in tubs and, and they take it back to the to the maloka the the ceremony room which was literally just like a small shack um um on a dirt floor i, I understand like it's peru it's in the middle of the amazon um i don't need there to be like teak wood floors everywhere although that exists mm-hmm. <laughs> in other countries there are some um, pretty massive malocas curated by tribes throughout the Amazon as well. Like they really yeah. take pride in their malocas, but yeah. That's good to hear. This was not one of them. Yes. Um, you know, and, and Willie's got a big metal pot over a fire um, and he's going to brew the ayahuasca for the next two or three days. Um, and so that's what's going to go on there. And I'm looking around. There's this dirt floor in this very small um, wooden shack. There's a few like soiled mattresses stacked in the corner. Um, and I'm like, okay. Uh, and, and then, then the night and the next day, and this is my first time with combo as well. The, uh, the frog venom where they, you know, the, they do the burns, the gates, mm-hmm. and then they put that in. Um, but I was not feeling very comfortable. Uh, and, uh, we were getting close to like doing this combo thing. And I know about combo. I know, I know what it, how it does the vasodilation. It's very uncomfortable, it's very fast. It's very purgy. It's supposed to have some medicinal benefits. Um, um, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm not too, I wasn't at the time too uh, versed in that. Um, and I was kind of in the moment I was like, you know what, I'm not really feeling like doing combo. Um, and Ned tried telling me that I had to, I'm like, well, this is what we came here to do. You have to, it's part mm-hmm. of the pre, um, ayahuasca cleansing. And I'm like, first of all, don't fucking tell me I have to do something like, um, I, I mean, I, I remember how we got here. Um, I will walk a couple miles down the banks of the Amazon and I will just go back to Iquitos. Maybe I'll get eaten by a fucking python. Maybe not. I don't know. But don't tell me. I've, I've always got options. Yes. Um, you know, don't tell I me. Think don't that's put me definitely. In I have to do something. Yeah. Um, because if I'm not going to do If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to fucking do it. Um, and so there was there was a conversation um, in the group about this, and and my friend Ryan, who's actually he's a doctor, 
Um, and so he's, he was doing a lot of studying. And so he was able to, to talk to me about about the kind of the Western scientific narrative of combo of the, the peptides and the cleansing of the dots, da, 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 da. And Brian is going to be the one who administers it to me. I'm like, okay, as long as fucking Ned's not getting near me with a, a knife blade smeared with, with frog poison, then okay, I'm going to give this a try. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I do. It was, it was, you know, three dots on my, on my arm and, um, Ryan led me through it. It was very uncomfortable. I don't know that I'll ever do it again. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of purging, um, which I guess I, I got some cleanse. Um, but that was just, just another data point here in this uncomfortable situation. Uh, mm-hmm. and so the ayahuasca is cooking, um, um, for the next couple of days. And now we get into the uh, into part of the documentary, right? The documentary. And again, to me, a documentary is at least a, an attempt at journalism. And journalism is massively biased these days. It's always got agendas. But at the heart, at the core of the philosophy of journalism is that it's just a representation of something, something that exists. It's a who, what, where, and when. And then we get into a why, and the why is when the narrative and the, the agendas start coming in. Well, why are people doing that? Why is Palestine and why are Palestine and Israel still fighting? Or, you know, you know, when you get into the why, that's when the agenda comes in. Mm-hmm. But a documentary is at least at its core an exercise in journalism, and journalism at its core is an exercise in seeking some sort of objective documentation and reporting of just something that has or is happening, right? What a documentary is not is when a guy named Ned from Florida turns on a camera and wants you to sit down and say his company's name and tell the camera about the the good time you are having um, with his company because Ned has a company. And again, Ned owns property in this area in which he is seeking... um, to turn into a, a medicine eco-tourism um, mm-hmm. destination. And so the documentary is actually, this is, this is called marketing. Um, yeah. like this, this is not a documentary, this is marketing. When, when you're like, say my company name and say that, you know, to tell the camera how what, you know, you're down here for your medicine journey and the healing and how awesome it is. I'm like, this is called testimonial marketing. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a zoo. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with testimonial marketing, but call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me that it's only a documentary when what, I'm, what you want me to do is give you um, marketing content to promote your, your for-profit business. Right. Um, and it starts to be revealed that um, the, one of the whole points of the trip for Ned was to court the people on the trip as potential investors. He wants us to invest in his uh, in his retreat center, which is a little bit, I feel, is why he's kind of showing his cards a little bit, why he's correcting the Peruvian man's talking points, because he thinks he's selling a concept to us. And in my mind, like again, I'm happy to stay quiet and not really argue, but you're doing the opposite of selling your investment mm-hmm. idea. Because you're just kind of showing me that you're coming down to this socioeconomically depressed area, swinging your American money around, um, um, you know, treating the locals as though they're subhuman, subhumans, or <laughs> yeah. um, and like, no, I don't want to invest in your, I don't want to be a part of this um, at all, um, and. You know, uh, we, we get into the, the ayahuasca night, um, and um, I, I took one, one serving of ayahuasca in the, the very crowded room, um, very small maloca on the dirt floor. How many people so, were there with you? Probably like a dozen. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, that sounds about right. Maybe a little bit less. Maybe it's closer to 10. But um, yeah, and it was a very small room, and there was not a dozen mattresses. Um, so we we're like doubled up. And you know, like small buckets, and Willie, Willie is uh, you know the the curandero, and um, he's passing out or calling people up and giving them the right dose according to his, his grandfather spirit guides. And there's a, a couple of his male assistants in the room, but they're not assistants like there to help you. Um, they're not there to attend to mm-hmm. you or check in on you. They're 
basically just there. If you get up and start to walk towards the door, they're going to open the door. They're going to shine a flashlight on the door and open the door. Um, and so I just wasn't really comfortable in the situation. I had a little bit of a, an experience with the ayahuasca, a little bit of purging, but, um, uh, and I, I lost all sense of time. Um, and so I didn't know how long had passed, but I, I, I quickly got up and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to my room. I'm, I'm done with this for the night. And it turns out I was in there for maybe like two or three hours. Um, in the local, so it wasn't the all night thing that, mm -hmm. that other people went through and they did like two and three servings. Um, and again, getting back to like, there wasn't really any assistance. A couple of people, um, just ended up laying in their own like feces and their own like urine. Oh There's people in these journeys by themselves and, um, and, and that too, like, um, I don't know. I, I just, I was just, I wasn't going to take the second cup. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going deep on this. I don't. I don't feel comfortable. I'm just going to go back to my room. I had yeah. my own little, um, little interesting journey um, outside of the container of the Maloka and, and Willie singing the, the the songs and things like that, because that can provide very a lot of context to what's going on with the uh, with the DMT and the ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back to my room and just kind of be with my own thoughts. And I, that expanded consciousness was very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so that happened. Um, the next day, we all did like a sharing circle, and um, people were talking about doing a second night um, of the ayahuasca. Again, like it's not on the schedule. They're just like, "Hey, what do we want to do today? Want to do more ayahuasca tonight?" Um, I was like, "You guys are welcome to, but I'm, I'm not going to. I'm just right. I, I got I got I got my own stuff to process with the first night, and I'm just not feeling called to." And a couple of other people kind of took note, uh, took took um, off of my cue, like, "Yeah, I'm not really feeling that um, as well." Um, and so then we go, uh, we go on a trip down the Amazon. We take a boat down the Amazon. We're going to go visit Ned's property because right now we're on Willie's property. Um, mm -hmm. Willie has the buildings in the retreat center. Um, but now we're going to go see Ned's property, which doesn't have anything on it yet, but he's, he owns the property. And this is where he wants to put, um, Ned, where Ned wants to put his, his tourism de destination. Um, and take a boat down the Amazon and we go to, um, to a monkey sanctuary, which is, code for a lot monkeys of different monkeys um <laughs> and we go walking into the amazon um down like a trail and it was like um I, I was glad that you know from my military experience i kind of knew what to pack i knew it was gonna be hot and sweltering but i had like a lot of long sleeves and like pants loose pants tucked into my boots you know a lot of other people were in like shorts and tank tops and i'm like you're gonna get chewed the fuck the up bugs, like, yeah yeah and so walking into the jungle down a very narrow path like having to hack away at stuff a lot of ants a lot of mosquitoes like whatever um i was also the only one who brought a gps <laughs> as well <laughs> i'm glad that i did that so i'm like oh i'm marking waypoints and i'm like okay here's where the, here we're where we walked into the jungle and, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. and one thing that i noticed um on my gps is the area that we were walking in on my gps map looks like it's underwater it's all like underwater. And I know the Amazon, the Amazon swells mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the rainy season. And then it, it shrinks down in the dry season and then it swells in the rainy season. So I'm starting to think, I'm like, did Ned buy property in a flood zone that he wants to build a retreat center on? Because I think like, I want to, part of me wants to ask Ned, I'm like, have you been down here in the rainy season? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure the spot we're standing on is probably under several feet of water for half of the year. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like, I'll let it go. <laughs> Um, so we get to this area, uh, to, to Ned's like land and, uh, something that he notices is that there have been a couple of trees cut down. Um, and he starts to become very angry and very incensed, uh, because Ned has, has anointed himself as a protector of the forest. He fancies himself, not just, um, a, a psychedelic psychonaut, mm -hmm. but, uh, an environmentalist, a protector of the rainforest. And. Um, he's very upset that, that people have cut down his trees, his, his hundreds of year old trees that have the grandfather spirit in them. And, um, I'm thinking, okay, um, and we go, we go back to, we go, we go out of the jungle and we go to this little town and we're all hanging out at this other retreat center. There's nobody else there, um, except a couple of staff. There's no other like guests. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's the off season. Um, but Ned starts getting into this, this fight with the locals with like the 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 local chief um who i guess he's 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 supposed to be paying to like watch over his property while he's not there and he's trying to assert 
um, that the, the villagers have cut down his trees and there's something wrong with this. And he sees like stacks of lumber. He's like, this is my lumber. And he, he's like trying to assert, he even calls it like his gringo wrath. He's like, I'm going to give these people my gringo wrath. And I'm like swinging in a hammock, like watching this guy, with a couple other guys and I made a joke. I'm like, yeah, what a show. Go get him, Ahab. Um, and uh, <laughs> the guys next to me got the Moby Dick reference and laughed at it. Um, and somebody else in the group uh, mentioned me for a second. They're like, because they were kind of like, oh yeah, Ned's gonna gonna get him. Like, yeah, they don't know we got former soldiers here and re referencing me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a former soldier. That's why I know not to get into fucking shouting matches over property rights right. ten miles down the Amazon. Like you disappear very quickly here like and nobody um, will ever find you nobody's ever gonna fucking know man you're mm -hmm. you're gonna get a shallow grave out in the, out in the jungle um so you don't don't think that i'm gonna get your back because i'll fucking watch them do it um <laughs> I'm like yeah i i agree yeah I, I i i don't argue with the fact that you just cut ned's head off and right. you're dragging him out into um you know don't please don't do it to me i'm gonna fucking exit out of here but don't think that i'm gonna be on your team ned um and so this again is just like the how how this individual this this man from florida is treating this society and these people are villagers yeah you know they're never going to get out they were born here they were they they're gonna farm their 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 but they farm, raise what they're going to raise. They're going to they're going to buy what they can buy with what limited economic resources they have, and then that's going to be their life. They're going to have children, and it's just going to perpetuate. It's just going to go on. That's that's right. what life is in the Amazon village. Um, and to have again, it's like aliens landing a ship with more money than God, according to you, uh, is going to stand there and assert property rights of how dare you cut down my trees. People live here like they. Yeah, they that's the why I respect your perspective so much, because I see this a lot. I really do. And I try. My, I mean, I'm obviously traveling and I try my absolute best to have awareness like this is not my place. Right. Like I'm being welcomed mm -hmm. in. It's so important to respect the cultures, the people. I am not in ownership of any of this. And that's why I really wanted you to highlight this is is for people to have a, an increased level of awareness when they are traveling, when they are trying to go on these excursions into the Amazon. Respect the people that live on the land and do not try to take as much as you are giving, you know? And that's what I see is like this, this very much like go to these countries and take, 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 take what is not yours. And that's why I really wanted you to share this story. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of getting this sense. And then we went back to Willie's um, retreat center for one more night. And then for some reason, I'm not entirely certain of, I think Ned might've gotten into a fight with Willie um, over use of funds. I heard an argument over use of funds and um, Ned was upset that Willie spent so much of the money that he gave him in improving the property. I said, I didn't know so much was going to go into construction, you know, um, because another thing, uh, the food was really bad. And I've, I've done di dietas or other, and I've read dietas, but then you get to Willie's retreat center and you're, you get, you're getting handed plates of pasta with uh, slices of bread and you know, like margarine. I'm like, Okay, either either the people who are doing that dieta stuff are full of shit, um, or and Willie knows that that you know egg noodles and 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 white bread is a great thing to do before an ayahuasca ceremony, or I don't know what's going on, but there's something right. off here. Um, and it turns out that like Ned had an issue with how much um, how much Willie had spent to improve the property um, with the money that he gave me, and again like improve the property. Um, okay. I mean, he probably improved his property, but it's, it's not, it's not, you know, a bungalow at the Marriott. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, like, I don't know how much that Ned is pocketing. Um, and then, so we, oh, that was the, uh, that was one of the reasons Ned had this grand idea that he was going to go put a fence around his property. So he wanted to move all of us from the retreat center 
which again, like, am I still on a retreat or, or, or now we're just about like you asserting your property rights to the villagers down the river. So we're moving to the other retreat center. We're going to end that. And Ned and Alex went into Aikidos and got like spools of barbed wire and like the post diggers and things like that. And there to was be some- experiencing this while you're supposed to be on a healing <laughs> ayahuasca retreat. Do you, you sound so calm and, and I know it's because of your background. Of course, you've probably been in the craziest yeah. situations that people can't imagine. But for me in that situation, I would be losing my mind. It's, I'm supposed <laughs> to be healing you. here. Right. Um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because my, I mean, it's not a rock, <laughs> you know? Right, um, exactly. Um, but we're going to go down to this other place, and Ned's got spools of, of barbed wire and post diggers, and there's some comments of, like, us helping him build a fence. I'm going to help you build a fence? And motherfucker, I paid you to be here. Um, like, I'll supervise. You want me to point and be like, here's how you build a fence. Like, right. um, but no. So we go down to to the to the town that we just came from where ned is asserting his property rights over over the trees that were cut down on his property and now we've moved into a different kind of like hotel this one at least is a little bit um seems a little bit more put together um the rooms are much smaller and i think the beds had bed bugs in them but like very tiny ones that i just started getting chewed up right away and now we don't have willie like we have left our curandero's willie's retreat center um and but people are still talking about doing ayahuasca that night. I mean, who's going to serve the ayahuasca? Mm. And it turns out that Ned. <laughs> Ned has decided that he is ready to be the curandero um, because, the, of course, the grandfather spirit has anointed him such. And I'm like, I'm still not going to do that. And a few of us just sat out for various reasons. Nobody was really arguing. We're just like, no, I just don't feel called to that. You all um, do it. And there's, there's like this like dining area, dining room area that they pushed all the tables back and turned into a little, you know, make sh- a little slap together maloka. And Ned is going to serve everybody ayahuasca. And that's great. Um, I'm going to hang out back here. Um, uh, there was a, a nice woman um, in our group who was, who did some acupuncture on me. It was really great. My first time doing acupuncture. got very relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, I can kind of hear, you know, their, their little ceremony thing going on um, a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I guess everybody, everybody, everybody survived, like, you know, whatever. Um, but the next day people were like, yeah, man, that was that was a really intense journey for me. And I was like, yeah, I mean, was yours, yours intense? Mine was intense too. And they, I'm like, yeah, you think you think maybe the the fuck you think Ned maybe might not be the greatest guy in 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 measuring how much ayahuasca to give you? Is it, mm-hmm. you know wherever wherever Willie learned how to do it? Maybe Willie at least has an intuitive sense of of how much medicine to serve. A uh, 115 pound woman versus a uh, 210 pound man. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe Ned doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, mm-hmm. and maybe Ned just gave you a shit ton of fucking jungle vine juice. Um, and so at that point, I, I was kind of done. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was a couple other people that were done, and I, I was getting chewed up. A couple other people were getting chewed up, and we had talked to Alex, the Peruvian guy, and he said like, you know, if you if you guys can come up with $120 um, in cash, I can get a boat out here and take we'll you back you to out. Yeah. yeah. And at this point, it's like two days away from when I was supposed to leave. We were supposed to leave already. So I'm just not going to be here for the last um, last two nights. And right? was it a, a whole seven days, a whole week? or yeah, Close to that. It was closer to seven, seven, maybe closer to 10. I'll have wow. to think about that. Um, I'm going to go back to Aquitos. Um, I've, I'm an, I'm, I'm an American. I've got, I've got money. Um, so I'm, I'm going to find a hotel and I'm either going to stay in Iquitos, um, until my already scheduled flight or I'm going to change my flight or I'm just going to buy a new flight because I've looked them up and they're like $80. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, so I stay, change my plans. I go back to Iquitos with Alex and a couple of the other guys, two other guys, um, on the trip with us. And, um, Alex is going to stay in Aikido's with us, um, and, and take us around. And so we go back to that restaurant with the, the, you know, big plate of meat that I can afford, um, very easily. And, um, I was still drinking. I, I, you know, I, I abstained from alcohol before, but I got back to drinking alcohol. So I had some drinks. We went out bar hopping, which was interesting to go bar hopping with Alex because you go into the, ser- to the mm-hmm. situation, 
uh, you know, and alcohol is you know very verboten or very you know not not a good idea when you're going to go into ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. We're going bar hopping, and um, we're at a bar, and I we start talking to Alex, um, the Peruvian man, and getting a sense of the problems that Alex is working on, and Alex. Ned probably isn't the only American that comes down to Peru and hires Alex as like a local right. tour guide. Um, I don't know how many Neds Alex has, but you get this sense that Alex is really trying to trying to bring in economic resources, tourists, finances for his people because he understands the situation. He understands the economics of the situation and the the way that the industrial shifts and the market shifts and the, the lumber trade being shut down has affected his area. And so he's talking to us about this and how, you know, you can start to tell that Alex really isn't that much of a fan of Ned either. He's just mm-hmm. a guy that hires him. Um, and we find out that uh, turns out that when we were standing on that property where the trees were cut down, that Ned wasn't even standing on his property. He was standing on on um, village property, which is, of course, um, perfectly within the villager rights in any in any sense mm-hmm. to cut down and use those trees because that's where they live and that's what they use to to construct their their material their buildings. Um, so Ned was lost. Ned wasn't even standing on his property, and the trees that were cut down were not his trees. However, however you want to define what Ned's trees are, because who knows who Ned actually paid for his property? Was it even a local um, or was it, you know, some government in Lima um, who took $15,000, $50,000, $100,000, whatever it is, and said, OK, here's the piece of paper that I'm going to give this um, this American that now says he's got rights to land next to that village um, down the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, just an unfortunate, um, unfortunate situation. Yeah. So spent um, a night in Iquitos, got up the next day, um, worked on some travel arrangements um, and and um, got a flight back to Lima. And there's another amazing part about like the spectrum of this journey. So again, going to Iquitos, Iquitos is very poor. Um, uh, you know, the conditions aren't great. The people are not very healthy. Um, you know, it's very kind of developed nature, nation, third world, whatever you want to call it. And then going down to the into the depths of the Amazon and the villages and the village right. trade center. Then I go, I fly back to Lima and I take a taxi to um, a suburb of Lima called Miraflores. Um, and I got a, a hotel reservation. I spent the next two nights on the 27th floor of the JW Marriott in <laughs> Flores, Peru. I, this is the same country, right? I did not cross an, a, a national border, um, but I went to Lima and I went to what I've come to realize is a very affluent suburb of Lima, Miraflores. And I'm, I've, I've got the ocean view on the 27th floor of JW Marriott, and I might as well be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got red wine, I've got steaks, and there's international travelers all over the place, uh, obviously affluent, and, and you know, they're doing business deals and trade, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, I, right across the street from the JW Marriott is a mall. It's an open-air mall, and right on the other end of that is the beach, and then there's the ocean. Mm. And so... I, I walk across the street to the mall and I've got a Ruby Tuesday and an H&M and a Banana Republic and, um, you know, all of these these um, these recognizable brands for clothing and books and restaurants and and um, and do you know like the economy of Lima very well? Like, can the pe- the local people of Lima afford that, or is that mostly for? Don't know. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm sure some can, but like, what is the percentages? You know, right. obviously nobody who if, if you you grab a, a group of people from Iquitos and bring them here, and no, because it's not like you know, and because yeah. I, I walk into the Banana Republic there, and it's not like it's not Peruvian Banana Republic prices. I'm doing the math. I'm like, this shirt is still 60 US dollars. Um, you know, this shirt's going to be 60 US dollars in Los Angeles and it's going to be 60 US dollars equivalent in in Miraflores, Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was also very interesting um, to to see the the range of the economics um, there and to What a journey. 
Yeah. And so spent two nights, two nights there. Um, and then, uh, got on an early morning, uh, uh, cab ride back to the Lima airport and flew back to the United States and just kind of started unpacking it all. Um, wow. How was that processing and- for you? processing that experience because it feels like and correct me if I'm wrong but it feels like I think a lot of the time you're in solvent mode which is you know like survival mode how am I gonna you know how am I gonna react to this how am I gonna be in this situation you know and so ultimately you don't really have that time to process until afterwards I would say I was in observation mode like I never had I mean, I never had any fear for my survival, and that's probably my experience. And like I said, when I, when I go into the jungle, I go into the jungle like I'm going into a military deployment. I had a rucksack with boots and socks and underwear and, you know, fatigues and, and you know, whatever else that I could carry in. Yeah. So I was never really afraid of my, for my survival. I was just in observation mode. Uh, I think it was more about, like, what am I going to participate in and where are my boundaries? Where am I going to not just go along with the crowd or the mm. group? or the, the leadership of the group. Um, and when, and when, at what point, somebody's going to say like, no, I don't feel called to that. And I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. And just kind of be an observation, not try to argue. I'm like, I'm going to try to stop Ned from kicking the kid's soccer ball down the field, but I'm just going to kind of sit back and watch and like take all this in and it's going to be what it's going to be. So mm. that was kind of, yeah. The processing of this whole experience, what did you gain from it? And what would you like to offer the listeners who, you know, are looking for this type of environment and could potentially end up in a position like you did? So it comes back again to marketing Um, and something that I uh, in my mind during my when I was under in the ayahuasca was uh, gringo marketing. I kept thinking gringo marketing because Ned had used the phrase gringo wrath, and so I'm like, um, and for thinking what? about uh, gringo wrath yeah. for his his argument with the villagers, he, he was going to drop his gringo wrath, and so I started thinking like gringo marketing, and you know this is this is an industry, um, ecotourism, uh, plant medicine tourism. It's an industry, and the the, the people who are investing in these um, these locations, a lot of them are not indigenous. They're not locals. Um, they are Americans, Canadians, Europeans, um, um, you know, from other from other more affluent cultures. And they come down and they invest. And investors have different motives. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that it's all bad. Um, I have I have friends who are investors um, and owners of other um, Central and South American uh, medicine retreat centers. And uh, I love my friends, and they they seem to be good people doing good things. Um, but ask the questions. And this is a challenge both for someone who is thinking about getting into this experience or someone who is or is thinking about being an entrepreneur in this space. Um, because uh, for the consumer, what I would, um, what I would invite or, 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 um, or challenge is to ask the questions, where's the money going? You know? Where's where is my two thousand dollars, my three thousand dollars, my five thousand U.S. dollars, which is the fucking average annual income times ten for mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know that, but it's you know it's probably not far off. Um, where's that money going? How is it going back into the local communities? And if you are an entrepreneur in this space, if you are a, a, a non-indigenous entrepreneur in the space, quote unquote, a colonist. I guess what colonialism is. Um, think about think about how you're answering those questions, and think about how you are providing those answers to those questions, because that can go into your marketing. When we have informed consumers who are asking these questions, it challenges the entrepreneurs to provide the answers. And the entrepreneurs sometimes will provide lies. They will say, or they'll provide a, a manicured version. In, in environmentalism, it's called greenwashing. Um, where, where I can, I can put, um, sustainable, I can slap the word sustainable on a bottle of water Mm -hmm. and I understand it increases my sales, but if people aren't asking, well, what does that mean? Why did you put that word on that label? Um, sometimes you find out it's just a word on a label. Like the company isn't actually doing anything for their sustainability. Um, and so there can be this kind of 
this washing of, of you know, how is the money actually um, going into the local economy? But it's a good place to start, right? Ask the questions. And if you're the entrepreneur, if you're the, the, the investor, have the answer and be honest with your answers. Say like, you know, 15% of our, our, our net profits, our gross revenues go into educational centers and the blah, 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 or into healthcare centers, or, you know, you, you know, you're, you're hiring people at a certain wage and you're providing this, yata, 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 yata. Have those answers. And if you're going to go, if, if you're a white guy from Florida or from, um, you know, from Sweden or whatever, and you got a bunch of money for some reason and you want to go down there, you want to be one of these entrepreneurs and because you want to bring this medicine and this healing that can happen and does happen for people. Um, I would challenge you to go there, go there correctly, go there like that, go there and understand that it's, you're not just going to, don't just go there to set up a wall in the jungle um and and hire a bunch of people from your home country to come down there and run a center and kind of just you create that little island think about how you're giving back think about what you're investing in think about how you are improving the conditions or the outcomes for the local people um as part of this offering and again just like with the pharmaceuticals there's a supply side problem and a demand side problem and and challenge the supply side problem to do better, but it starts when the demand side problem does better. Mm. And the questions and it, it doesn't give money to the Neds out there. And in post that trip, I've I've talked to a few of the people that are on that trip who have we have we didn't get into like shit talking or anything like that, but they've prompted they've they've decided to say, oh by the way, I don't talk to Ned anymore. Um, and so if you find yourself in this situation and you find yourself in a situation like, do I walk through the Amazon back to the town? Or do I just kind of you know sit here and assert different boundaries? But once you get out of that situation, ask yourself like, how am I not going to be in that that situation again? How am I if I feel called to to the jungle? If I feel called to ayahuasca? If I feel called to whatever else is is offered or available down there? How do I do it from a way that asks those questions, seeks those answers, and at mm-hmm. least um, feels a little bit better? about the part that I play and the, the whole economics of it. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. That's beautiful. I do have a few more questions for you because I am curious about this. Um, what do you think of the rise of the neo-shamanism that we're seeing right now? Like all of these, all of these um, individuals that didn't grow up in a tribe, didn't grow up in, a, in an indigenous culture, self-proclaiming themselves through an awakening awakening like Ned, right? I am a shaman. I have permission to, mm-hmm. to give people this medicine without the actual blessing from the tribe and the origin in which it came from. It's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, um, pretty freedom loving person at heart. Um, so if somebody wants to anoint themselves a medicine man and, and make an, an invitation, then to me, I skew towards, you know, okay, a person can say whatever they want to say, and they can invite you to do whatever you want to do. And if you accept that invitation, as long as everybody's a consenting adult, that's your mm-hmm. life, do what you want to do. Um, it is interesting to think about, and that, you know, just like with the people in the pharmaceutical industry, I'm sure it's overwhelmingly full of good people who want to do good things. Ned, in his own heart and mind, most likely um, feels that he's a good person who's doing good things. Um, you know, right. I just I just don't agree um, on certain levels or in certain nuanced ways. Um, and so when I think about the the emergence of the neo the neo shamanism and all the plant medicines and the calling back to the indigenous um, tribes and you know, I can I can go to Los Angeles, I can go to Chicago, I can go to Stockholm, and I can have Caucasian people, um, some of them who've been to the jungle, some of them maybe have not, um, like serving me um, these these things. I, I mean, in the medicine shop in Aikido's, I could have gotten, um, I, I could get Bufo, and I'm like, um, this is a Sonoran desert toad, like. This comes from the, this. I am indigenous to the Sonoran Desert. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, we have, you're selling bufo in in Peru, which must have come from southern Arizona or northern Mexico, most likely. Um, 
And so there's all this crossover, right? But it's kind of always been that way. You know, I can get the same chili peppers in Mexico than I can in India. And I have been able to do that for hundreds of years because the trade lines have been open that long. Um, And so uh, where was I going with that? Um, it's interesting to think about, um, definitely try to have some discernment, um, in, in, you know, where you're seeking and who you're seeking it from. Um, and I I don't know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to talk anybody out of their self-proclaimed, you know, grandfather spirit anointed me the protector of the forest and the curandero of the ayahuasca. Um, Mr. White guy from Florida, uh, I'm not gonna try to talk anybody out of that, but um, but the awareness is there and there. yeah. And you obviously know from working with medicines in the past, like everything is energy and that energy will affect the medicine and who you're serving it to. I believe that. I believe that that, you know, without the blessing from the tribe that will affect how you're serving it and the people that you're serving it to. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's, I, I, and I don't, and people, people will in this, in this space will, will project that, you know, they spent time with the tribe and they have gotten that blessing. And they did the studying and they did the apprenticeship and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that's various levels of true as well. Everything is, everything exists on a spectrum. Um, and it's not, there's both, it's not necessarily all bad that it's kind of unregulated because I mean, I could go to, I could go to a university and get a degree in pharmacy, you know, I can get a doctoral in pharmaceuticals. Um, and that doesn't make me objectively you know, better or wiser than um, somebody who spent a week in a tribe in, you know, Northern Mexico uh, mm-hmm. serving Bufo or, or some guy from Florida who goes down and does 50 ayahuasca journeys um, and decides that, you know, can, can now serve it. Um, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, yeah, there's uh, a lot of complexity to it, definitely. And overall, just bringing the awareness to where your money is going and supporting those local communities, where you are going to facilitate or to participate in these facilitations of the medicine is, is like the big takeaways, right? Anything else you want to offer the listeners with that story? I don't want it to seem like I've like I've been talking bad about any of the medicines themselves. Um, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that I will f- ever feel called back to ayahuasca or combo. Um, you know, I, I have my own kind of like I like my medicine to be fun. Um, I think there's 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 medicine and revelry, um, and so you know um, I like my medicine. I, love that. I like to dance. You know, <laughs> um, same. With, whether it's a very beautiful um, um, maloka or a shack with a dirt floor, if I've got my head in the bucket and um, I'm sitting on a toilet and I'm just wrenching my guts out, um, to me, I don't know that I'm going to feel called to that again. But I, it's been very powerful for so many people that I know. And so I don't want to seem like I don't want to turn people off to exploring that. And I love that it's mm-hmm. becoming more accepted and um, there's legal pathways and things like that. And I know so many people that have gotten so much out of this. Um, so please don't think that I'm speaking against the, the medicines themselves, but there's so many options and so many opportunities out there. And, yeah. um, you know, do your of- research people. Do your research. Beautiful. Okay, so we're we're getting to that uh, closing point. There's a few more questions I want to ask you. Um, these are questions that I ask every guest that I have. Number one, what's a project or something you're really excited about right now that you want to share with people listening to these episodes? Because it's going to be two parts. Okay. Um, a project that I'm excited about right now, uh, I, I've only started doing some some initial work on it, but I have this idea called the Butterfly Effect Project. Um, and it came from this, um, this, this time that I was driving a car back from San Diego. I drove out to San Diego to deliver one of my ice baths and Adrian and I were driving the car back from San Diego and it happened to be during the, during the, uh, migratory period of the monarch butterfly. And, um, if you don't know about the, if, for anybody who's not aware of the, the migration of the monarch butterfly, it's this really amazing migration where the entire species, uh, so this idea that I have that I've, I've 
circling back to called the Butterfly Effect Project. And this um, this was born uh, in 2019. Uh, Adrian and I drove out an ice bath, one of our first sales to San Diego. And we were driving the car back from San Diego to Phoenix. And it was during uh, the migratory period of the monarch butterfly. For anybody who isn't aware, the monarch butterfly has this interesting migratory pattern where the entire species spends the entire winter in uh, this one area in Mexico uh, in the mountains. And so there's like millions of them in the trees. And then uh, as the, the weather starts to warm, they move up through the United States all the way to Canada where they spend, um, they spend the summers in Canada. And then they go all the way back down um, to this one area in Mexico for the winter. And this is just a cycle that happens. And the one of the amazing things is this is a transgenerational migration. So because they're insects, they don't live for very long. Um, the butterflies that leave Mexico and actually end up in Canada are like the great, great, great grand butterflies of the ones who left. Oh, wow. um, like no, no butterfly goes from start to finish because they're insects. They don't live very long. And so, and then by the time they all come back, it's like six, seven generations in, right? And, but we're driving down the, the highway um, between San Diego and Phoenix, and I'm just smashing these all over the car. Like, it's got to be like hundreds of them. Um, and I'm like, I'm thinking about this, and there's no way to avoid it unless I just pull the car over and camp for several days. Um, I couldn't do that, so I've got to drive this car down the road. I'm thinking, I'm one car on one road, and these butterflies, these beautiful butterflies, are going all the way from Mexico up through the entire United States to Canada and then back again. Like, what a, what a genocide it must be for these butterflies to, like, make it through this gauntlet there and back. Um, and... I had this idea. The idea was like, you know, well, what if, what if we all just slowed down um, when the butterflies were passing through, and just let the butterflies pass through, right? And I started thinking about this, like, how could, um, how could this become a festival or a community event where, um, where people, people do the best they can to reduce their their car usage, to walk, to bike. We could have little um, events in the park. You know, we could watch the butterflies coming through. Uh, and neighbors could get to know each other because we would all want to stay very close together. And we're, we're, our, we're, we're increasingly separated from our physical neighbors. We're in these digital relationships now. Um, but I was thinking, like, what could be the power of, you know, something that starts as just letting butterflies pass through your area, but how many different little events and festivals and, and community gatherings could pop up that, that created um, different solutions or different, different, uh, different cultures and neighbors meeting neighbors and spending time with each other and sharing meals. And I had this idea in my head of, like, somewhere – because we are so disconnected from our physical neighbors, somewhere in America, there's somebody whose favorite piece of clothing is torn um, and they don't know what to do about it. And they don't know that they're living next door to somebody who loves to sew mm -hmm. <laughs> and who really wishes they had something to sew because you know, their, their grandkids aren't, aren't visiting anymore and they don't have the, the socks to darn, whatever it is. And so the idea is to, um, to, to look for ways to introduce this concept, this idea, to see how what kind of traction we can get into small communities, towns, things like that. I think the beauty about it is it wouldn't be like Christmas Day or Valentine's or Memorial Day, because that all happens at the same time in the entire country, um, especially at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It happens on the same day in all of Christendom. Um, this would be regional, and it would kind of shift with the with the butterflies. So as the butterflies are coming up from Mexico, so it would only happen on like on a certain level at a certain time. So the whole country isn't shut down at once, but you know, little spots here and there. Of course, it won't be perfect. Butterfly festivals. Yeah. The butterfly effect, yeah. um, you know, and that calls to the butterfly effect being, you know, a, a butterfly flaps its wings, it can end up a hurricane or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so where could those seeds and those communities, those connections, those those neighbors talking to neighbors and, and meeting and, and solving problems, what could that, how could that propagate and how could that, you know, go into the, the transgenerational value and power of our own culture? Wow. And so I've been thinking about that more recently and talking about a lot 
more recently. Yeah. So that's something I'm excited. To that's do. beautiful uh, because it's so needed. Community is so, so needed right now. Just like you said, we're so disconnected. So I'm putting in some good energy for that. And I'm excited to see how that unfolds. Last question to put you on the spot for the listeners. If you could say something that would broadcast across the entire world into every single person's mind and plant a seed for positive change, what would it be? Pause and breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's so much power in that and the power in the pause and power in the just taking a breath before we react or speak or respond or engage or pause and breathe. Beautiful. I agree. Awesome. Jason, tell the listeners where to find your website, your pages, where to connect with you, all of your handles, drop them now and I'll put them in the info at the end of the show notes. Sure. So my Instagram is uh, at Jason underscore Morozko. That's M-O-R-O-Z-K-O. You can find my ice bath company um, at Morozko Forge, M-O-R-O-Z-K-O-F-O-R-G-E and at MorozkoForge.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I don't have a Snapchat. I don't have a TikTok. I don't have a Facebook. Why not? I don't want to talk to me. <laughs> I'm kind of a technophobe. Like my ultimate goal is to not use any of them. Yeah. Um, like, I yeah. agree. Beautiful. I'm going to embed myself. I'm going to go cut trees in the Amazon with the villagers. <laughs> That's the end goal of life for you? <laughs> Something. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. I'm so excited to drop these podcasts in the next few weeks and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you to all of the listeners. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please like, share, subscribe, send a rating in to the platforms. It really, really means so much for this community for you guys and we'll see you next week.